everyone. This is your girl Shade reporting live from When in STEM podcast. I hope everyone is having a great month of March so far. I can't believe this month is flying by. It literally started last week and we're halfway through the month and the first quarter of the year. It's crazy. But before we get into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to the following individuals. Dira Delpec, Akila Cox, and Leo Boone, who were the first recipients of the Win and STEM scholarship. So making this decision was very difficult. We had a lot of great applicants. I wish I could give everyone some scholarship funds, um, but thank you for applying and congratulations, ladies, on this accomplishment. Shout out to them. Yes, yes. For our first time and returning listeners, thank you for tuning in. Win in STEM is a platform to highlight successful people of color STEMists, to show others, our people, how to get a seat at the table and win in science, technology, engineering, math. Today, I have a special guest, one of my coaches, who will show us how to secure the bag all 2021. For our college students, this will be helpful in securing a summer internship or applying to your first full-time job after graduating college. For our professionals, this would be helpful in securing a new job that pays more. So I have a Dr. Anthony with me. He is the founder and CEO of Tones Professional Advisory Solutions and Services, aka Tones Pass, and also works as a lead strategist for Davita, the world's largest dialysis provider. So thank you so much, Tony, for being a guest on the podcast. Of course. And thank you for not fumbling over the name of my business. No one gets perfectly <laughs> really? right. I get tone pads. I get people mixing up my S's. I get people like not realizing that it's actually an acronym and just calling it T-Pass and you, <laughs> you nailed that. <laughs> Yo, we have to put some respect on the name. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Honored to be here. This is such an incredible platform. Thank you. Thank you. So, Tony, on my podcast, I like my guests to introduce themselves. I want this to be a time for for you to showcase your accomplishments, success, sharing with our listeners who you are, what you do. So I give you full permission mm-hmm. to brag about yourself. You know, in the media, we really don't hear enough positivity for people of color, especially Black men. So I want this platform to showcase us in a positive way. So the floor is yours. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Well, I'm a storyteller, as you know, so you're going to have to cut in if I'm telling too much of my story. (laughs) Uh, But since you asked, I mean, normally I cut straight to the chase and talk about my business, which is uh, a small but mighty part of who I am. Uh, Happy to share a little bit more about my background if it's helpful. Um, And yeah, you. I mean, you're raising some really good points about representation. A lot of the work that I do now is trying to fill the gap that I had when I was going through school and training in my early professional years, not looking up and out and seeing people who looked like me and talked like me and thought like me and felt Mm -hmm. like me. So I appreciate you giving me this platform to share my journey as a Black man in academia and engineering and corporate America and, you know, fatherhood and all those things. Because I hope that I can be an inspiration or just, you know, a lesson learned to someone out there coming after me. 
so Dr. Tony Awujadu, I'm originally from Silver Spring, Maryland, though I'm a Niger boy. Um, hey. my <laughs> Parents immigrated over to the States in the 70s. I met at Howard University. They're both bisons. Uh, had me after my sisters in 1987. Uh, and my humble upbringings were in a small neighborhood called Colesville, Maryland, uh, part of Silver Spring, but a super diverse, nice, quiet neighborhood where my fondest memories were going uh, down to the creek at the bottom of my hill with my best friends who also lived in the neighborhood. We all, about six of us were best of friends and all walking distance from our houses. And we would get to the beginning of that creek and just be overwhelmed with you know this rush of excitement and exhilaration because we knew for the next few hours, the world was ours. And we'd explore every single crevice, rocks and streams. We'd chase deer, we'd lay traps. I mean, I spent probably the majority of my childhood in those woods uh, with my boys and really learned how to explore and problem solve and deal with conflict and innovate and develop teams. I mean, it was such an incredible learning environment. And I'm just so appreciative to have had that in my backyard, my literal backyard growing up, because it taught me a lot of the skills that I still employ today. Uh, my parents raised me to be a lover of learning. Uh, I still am today. I, I went on to become an engineer, went to undergrad at the University of Maryland studying bioengineering, and then decided to pursue both my master's and, and PhD in biomedical engineering. I had always been top of my class, so valedictorian high school, prom king high school, all-star athlete, went to college on a full-ride scholarship, graduated summa cum laude, was super active in um, organizations on and off campus, went to grad school and uh, you know brought a new kind of social orientation to a boring research lab and a boring research topic. I studied uh, sickle cell disease and specifically the metabolism of a specific class of lipids called sphingolipids uh, in, in sickle cell disease and how that contributed to the disease state. So um, I'd always been this person that loved learning about people and processes and systems and phenomena, loved socializing, but also loved you know, analyzing and structuring problems and solving them. And uh, that balance between uh, learning and, and vibing off of people and solving hard problems is so integral to who I am and, and what I'm still doing. Um, so just to throw some knowledge out there as I continue sharing my story, really, really important for all of us to understand who we are and how we are and to not shy away from those things. Whether it be in STEM or in something completely unrelated, try to identify the skills that you naturally have and embody and play to those so that you can actually bring out the true excellence that God has already given you. Yes. So um, finished up my PhD and towards the end, I was just not in a good place, right? I'd spent so much time becoming the world's expert in sphingolipid metabolism and sickle cell disease, but I lost sight of what my why was. I wasn't playing to my strengths. I was spending a lot of time doing things that uh, didn't naturally fulfill me. Um, you know, I wasn't really spending and investing time in the relationships that mattered the most, including uh, the one with my fiance at the time, now wife. Um, but we really struggled being long distance and trying to maintain a bond and a productive relationship um, despite a, a lot of the challenges and distractions and me just not feeling like I could be my best self. So I was on the path to staying in academia. STEM was my life. It's all I knew, you know, engineer through and through. And um, I just, I, it got to the point where I knew I wasn't doing, I wasn't on the path that I was supposed to be on. And I rolled my sleeves up and really dug in to figure out what that was. 
and I discovered a few things that that literally changed my life. And, and the first thing was that um, I didn't really know what my purpose was, and I definitely wasn't walking in it because I couldn't articulate it. So I had to figure out my why. I had to figure out why I woke up every day and what I wanted to do with my time. Second thing, as I mentioned earlier, is I wasn't leveraging my strengths, right? I, I actually couldn't tell you what my key strengths were. I could tell you I could get an A in a class. I couldn't tell you how. I could tell you that when I walk into a room, you know, people tend to gravitate toward me, but I couldn't tell you why. So really finding the words to, you know, communicate to myself first, but then to others, what I naturally did well is something I spent a lot of time doing towards the end of my PhD. And then the third thing, I uh, started planning, and that might sound funny to hear given, you know, that I was nearing the end of my PhD and you'd think, you know, that, that planning was a requirement for that. But I was planning day to day, month to month, maybe quarter to quarter. I never thought about how I needed to manage my time, energy, and money in the long run, right? So I can continue doing the things that fulfill me and bring value to the world uh, without getting burnt out or running out of money. So I really learned how to strategically invest and modulate my energy for the better and maximize my time. Um, so fast forward, I graduated with my PhD, discovered consulting, which truly was at the center of what I love doing, communication, conceptual problem solving, um, working in teams, being st strategic in thinking and visionary. So I went to McKinsey, uh, the world's um, kind of premier global management consulting firm, Spent about five years there working with the, the CEOs of the largest health systems in the nation uh, across a variety of topics like strategy and mergers and acquisitions and organizational and operational excellence, things that really, really, really um, intrigued me intellectually. I learned a lot about leadership and influence and um, you know managing your resources effectively through consulting. And when my daughter was born, I have beautiful wife, Shay, Dr. Shay, and a two-year-old. Uh, and went on the way. Thank God. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. My daughter was born uh, in 2019. And I just looked at how I was spending my time again. And I was like, hey, this is fun. This is exciting. It's compensating well, but I need to be home with my family. Uh, I need to be home with my family more and more present. So I decided to leave consulting and turn my back on the four days away from home, traveling, living in hotels and planes and trains. And I joined, as you mentioned, Davida, um, the the nation's largest dialysis provider, uh, where I now lead strategy for the Northeast. Uh, and and with the a bit of time that I got back from leaving consulting, I also founded my business, which you didn't fumble over. Thank you, Tones Professional Advisory Solutions and Services. And um, in the capacity of, of founder and CEO, I work with impact-oriented professionals to help them unlock their full potential. Uh, you know, build generational wealth. Uh, land their dream jobs, any opportunity uh, that's in front of them, they qualify for by understanding the value they have, the skills they embody, and learning how to articulate that. And then, you know, building strategic plans about their their time around their time, energy, and money, so they can truly live the lives of their dreams. Um, outside of that, I am a proud girl dad. I am. I can probably say this now. We haven't told many people, but I'm a girl dad of two. <laughs> We're having a big. Oh. Congratulations. I didn't know it was a girl. Yeah, very few people do. So hopefully this isn't public soon, but we'll see. <laughs> we might need to edit that part out. I'll get permission from wifey. <laughs> uh, yeah, girl dad. And um, I am an entrepreneur, as you know. I, I'm a professional. Um, love corporate America. Love impact at scale. Love my organization and the mission-driven work that we do. 
I'm also an accredited investor and do a lot as it pertains to investing, both personally and with my two investment groups, uh, ATG and Cascades Ventures. Um, so we're doing early stage startup investing. We're doing venture capitals, LPs. We're raising, we're starting a fund. We do uh, real estate investments. We do uh, business debt. Um, uh, I'm on the on the market, cryptocurrency. I mean everything. So I, I just I'm a sponge when it comes to uh, the performance and value created by businesses, and I love thinking about. And, and exploring businesses that do it well. So I find investing to be not just uh, lucrative and helping me establish generational wealth, um, but also quite intellectually carry, uh, or satisfying, I should say. So that is a long-winded introduction to me and you didn't cut me off, but thank you for letting me tell my story. And once again, thank you so much for this platform. I just, I hope that our collective voices can reach people out there who are maybe a little bit less far on their journey and wondering whether or not STEM can take them to places they want to be mm -hmm. or learning how to solve hard problems or structure them or analyze complex data sets, you know, is really a valuable thing to do. I do all of this stuff in my day job and STEM has really been, um, you know, the fuel to the engine that I've been able to build around problem solving and impacting people at scale. So yeah, with that, I'll, I'll close and I'll turn it over to you for questions. Thank you for that excellent introduction and sharing your story. So today we'll be discussing how to effectively secure the bag and land your dream job, especially in a pandemic. So I feel as if there's so much information out there to help with careers and money, but our people, people of color, don't really know much about it or not exposed. So right now we're in a pandemic and the job climate is different. Do you think employers have higher expectations now for candidates who are going through the virtual hiring process than they might have had a year or two years ago? Um, very interesting question. And I think you could answer in a couple ways. I'll try to give you the direct answer and I'll add a little bit of color. I think the direct answer would be no right? The best organizations out there, the largest, most successful organizations out there were already, are already spending real dollars on talent acquisition and talent development and HR and recruiting and onboarding. They know that one of the most challenging uh, battles that an organization will deal with is uh, the war on talent and human capital and how to ensure that you get the right people in the door, keep them happy so they stay, Right. And then ensure that they don't, you know, leave the door disgruntled and and, um, you know, spread a bad, bad spreading bad things about your organization in a way that makes it harder to bring in talent. So the bar's always been high. I don't think COVID has made um, the bar any higher than it's been. And honestly, I would say that it's in many cases easier to shine during COVID because there's a lot more volume. There was such a big turnover of jobs. Many more people looking for work because their situations changed many more employers looking for work because the models with the which with which they serve their clients and end users has changed so there's been a lot more volume right in this world of hr and and you know talent acquisition but the quality right hasn't necessarily improved the quality of the candidate so if you can make minor tweaks to your presentation to your resume to your value prop to the way that you show up during interviews during a period where there's more 
just to be honest, garbage out there, <laughs> it's easier to sparkle, right? The bar hasn't changed, but it's easier to be noticed. I, I think the one thing that has changed is uh, employers looking for versatility as an attribute that they mm -hmm. seek to find in their employees, right? So if you're hiring a um, a financial analyst in the past, right? You might just be looking for skills like, you know, analytical problem solving and, um, you know, good mental math and good structure and attention to detail. You're still looking for all those things in the post COVID age, but who knows what's going to happen? Organizations are transforming by the day because of some of the challenges we're still dealing with, with COVID. So versatility and being agile and being comfortable with uncertainty are, are hugely important attributes. Um, so again, the bar hasn't necessarily changed, but I'd encourage you to start thinking about how you can demonstrate your versatility so an employer knows that when they bring you in, you'll be able to deal with the change that is inevitably coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think that's good information for people to know when they start their job search and not be discouraged due to our, our climate that's going on right now. So when looking for a job, there's levels to it, right? And a person shouldn't apply to position off the whim and not be prepared. What are the most important steps in the preparation process? I know people usually start off with the resume, but I feel like there's steps you should be doing way before that. And I know you touched a little bit about it in your intro. What are your thoughts about this? I do have thoughts and I can tell you've been doing your homework. <laughs> you want me to give some game today, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is uh, the most important question that one looking for work should ask themselves, right? And, and we use the words work and job and employment a lot. Uh, you know, very seldom do I find people that use words like fulfillment and meaning and purpose and impact when they talk about the things they're looking for. And if you just replace those words, right? So I want a job, I want employment, I want, um, you know, work. If you replace those with, I want meaning, I want fulfillment, and I want impact, it completely changes the game. And it causes you to focus less on the, the resume as the vehicle that will get you to that work, employment, a job, and focus more on who you are, how you are, why you are, so that you can find work, a job, employment that matches your life, your personality, the, the, thing, the, the sources of your happiness. Mm -hmm. So my encouragement to anyone looking for a job is to ask yourself that question. What are the things that I need to do before, prior to putting together my resume? And the first thing I'd say is, in exactly what I started with when I got to that moment at the end of my PhD where I felt lost and confused and frustrated about my position in life in the future, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, who are you? Like, who are you today? Like, because the person I am today is probably not going to change materially by the end of the day, right? So let's just acknowledge mm -hmm. who we are and then ask the question, who do I want to be, right? What's important to me? So you should think about work in the same way you think about a partner, mm -hmm. right? Or how you'd spend your most precious hours, right? Saturday evening where you're unwinding or maybe charging up for the next week. Like think about your employer as that because you're probably gonna spend the majority of your waking hours with your employer, with your teammates, with your colleagues, with in that culture. So you've gotta know who you are and how you need to be supported. 
right? You know, what fills your cup, what stimulates you, what ticks you off, uh, you know, what your strengths are and things that you need to surround yourself with so that you can add value to the people around you. If you're not identifying all these things, it becomes very hard to tell your story, whether it be on your resume and a cover letter, value proposition, interviewing, to tell your story in a way that allows you to leverage the things that you already have and are to bring distinction to your employer. And that's what happiness is about. That's what meaning is about. That's what impact and purpose is about. And when you have all those things, compensation comes, recognition comes, promotions come. Like that, that is the product, right? Not, not the goal. The goal should be being fulfilled in your work. And the byproduct of that will be everything that most professionals look for in work, the dollars. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So in your intro, you mentioned how you went through a time trying to figure out your purpose and identifying your strengths. How did you do that? Really good question. Uh, I think the, the first thing that I did is just acknowledge that I didn't know. And I think that's important. Um, you know, if, I might ask you, you know, d describe yourself in three words, Shade. Reliable. Mm -hmm. uh, determined. Yep. Um, adaptable. Reliable, determined, adaptable. How do you know? Due to um, just how people talk about me when they provide feedback. And that's something that's consistent in my professional realm and just personal realm. Um, that's just been spoken about me from the time I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, I mean, I mean, I, when I was going through my season of self-discovery, I, I didn't know the things that I uh, did well, right? I, I didn't have the specificity and language to make it crystal clear, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's ex the, the answer that you just gave me is exactly what, um, it was representative of exactly what I did. I started asking people. I asked my, my fiance at the time, I asked my lab mates, I asked my closest friends. Like when you see me sparkle, when you see me at my best, when you see me at my worst, like what, what do you see? You know, what fuels me? What, how do I add value? What do I do for you? And I also challenge myself to find attributes that I could own and be proud of, right? And that's where I discovered that there's this problem solving element, right? Everyone I talked to was like, well, you're just the guy that's around and has the solution. And if it's not the right solution, you'll just like come up with another one. Uh, influence was another thing, right? A lot of people, you know, saw me as a leader and saw me as a representative, you know, an amplifier of other voices in the groups I was in. And I may have known all these things subconsciously, but getting the specificity and language and getting the conviction that these are actually the right things for me took some time and soul searching. So ask yourself the hard question and then test it with other people. And then you got to think about there's a difference between who you are and who you want to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And who you want to be is about the future. It's about it's about your the vision you have for your life. And I actually use visioning as a tool to bring that to life. I work with my clients on an exercise that I find to be so unlocking. And Shadi, I think you've done this where you essentially think about a day 10 years in the future and write in excruciating detail what that day is like. And you can find yep. a tremendous amount about who you want to be by just visioning yourself in the future. So there are a lot of really, really simple but powerful tools that I use in my own life and with my clients to help them figure out what's important, figure out why it's important, uh, figure out how to bridge the gap between who they already are and the person they want to be, 
and test that with the world around them. And I did those same exact things when I was going through my period. So now let's say an individual has figured out their why, who they are, their happiness, and now they're ready, well, almost ready to start applying to jobs. While they're working on their resume and cover letters, what should they include and not include in order to get their foot in the door? On their resume and cover letter? Yes. You're asking all the right questions. So when we're done with this podcast, you need to just like package it up, put a price tag on it and tell every person on earth looking for a job to just pay you and listen to this. Cause I'm going to give you some heat and I hope, and I hope that people listen to you. Yes. <laughs> you write that down. Yeah. You're, you're, you're the homie. So I'm not going to like, be like, well, if you want that, you got to sign up for my course. I'm just going to like give you game, <laughs> which I don't do for everyone. So I hope this is, um, just a pleasant reminder to your followers to send this podcast to two or three people to, mm-hmm. you know, spread the good word. Cause you're asking the right questions and in general, right. As a human being, when you ask the right questions, you get an answer, right. It might not be what mm-hmm. you want to hear. It might not be what you expected to hear, but if you can identify the right questions to ask and you're asking all the right ones, you will get an answer from, the universe, right? And the universe could be okay. God. It could be an employee. It could be, you know, a, so a random person on the street. But when you learn to ask the right questions, you know, it, it significantly increases your chances of getting an answer for one, but the right answer for two. Mm-hmm, definitely. So um, to give some game, there, there's several important things that are important to highlight on. Um, I'll focus on the resume and we can talk about some other tools too. Um mm-hmm. But but the three, if I put them in, if I could put them in three different categories, um, it might help uh, your your listeners just understand the, the types of things that they should bring to the forefront of their mind before they start documenting things on their resume and cover letter, et cetera. The first thing is what you've done, right? And that's, that's the easy one. Uh, mm-hmm. People want to see richness in experiences. They want to see um, diversity in experiences. Uh, they don't want to see a resume that's very one-dimensional. Even if you're applying for a technical position, um, you want it to be to show some variety, right? Some diversity. Mm-hmm. So what you've done, I think the second is they want to see how you add value. Uh, that generally manifests in the resume with a combination of action-oriented verbs, right? Like um, spearheaded or uh, championed or liaised right? Really strong action-oriented words that, um, you know, show the impact in your leadership, right? Instead of saying, I did, or I served, or I supported, or I drafted, take ownership over your role and show how you added value by using very strong action-oriented verbs to start the bullets in your experiences and demonstrating impact by dimensionalizing the size, the magnitude of the work that you did. That could be the number of people you manage, the percentage increase in efficiency that your work drove, but actually try to quantify, even if it's qualitative, um, mm-hmm. the, the the degree of the impact you've had. So it's what you've done. It's how you add value. And the third thing is is probably the most unobvious, right? Because it forces you to put yourself, put your brain, your, your, your mind in the mind of someone else's, right? And, and think about them assessing you as a candidate. Uh, the third thing that you want to show is who you want to become, mm-hmm. right? So 
what you've done is the past. How you add value is the, is the present, I'd argue, right? Put me in any situation. This is how I'm going to you know, produce and reproduce. But who you want to become has got to be the employer or the culture of that employer that you're seeking. And if they don't see themselves or their colleagues or their corporate culture and you as a candidate, then they're probably not, even if you're the most distinctive person on paper, it's just not going to feel right. Right. So imagine, for example, you are looking for uh, an assistant, a personal assistant. Uh Right. And um, you want to know that this person has experience in in being a personal assistant. That's what they've done. You want to know how impactful that experience is. Right. They've increased the speed for certain activities and they've decreased costs for certain categories of spend. So you see all the impact. But then the, the third thing that you really care about is, is this person cool? Like, do I actually want to spend time with this person, right? Like, is this someone that you know, I, I would I would get energy from? And people sometimes think that you can only demonstrate that third thing on an interview, but I can look at a resume and know if someone's boring. I can look at a resume and know if someone's like a good communicator. I can look at a resume and know if someone uh, has studied my organization because I'm seeing the words that matter to me reflected in their resume, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, for that same personal assistant, they're going to have to think about who Sade is, right? Like, what? how do I need to position myself so I come across as cool and not just experienced and value-oriented? And on the resume, you do that by having a personal um, professional summary section that you know, positions, that talks about the company that you're seeking employment for, right? Not directly, but you might say, you know, I'm looking for an organization that looks like this and describe that company. Go to the job description and look at the words they're looking for and reverse engineer them into your resume. So when they look, when they're reviewing resumes and they're looking for specific attributes like emotional intelligence or um, client leadership, they see those same exact ones in the way that you describe yourself. And understand how they structure, how they think, how they communicate, get examples of resumes that have been successfully screened and, you know, mimic yours after theirs because it will look recognizable. So I'd say those are the three categories of things that are most important to get right. And within them, there's a lot you can and should do on your resume to, you know, maximize the points you'll get across those three categories, if I could use that that framework. Yes, I love it. Um, I love the point you added about adding value and impact. I think that's something that we sometimes miss out. You know, we want our resume to show why these employers should hire us and what we can do for the company. So if it's, if it's, hey, you know, my current role, I saved X amount of dollars, you know, in my new role, I can help you save more. So being able to describe that in a resume is definitely a major key. And um, to your point about using like descriptive words from the job description to your resume, um, there's a website called jobscan.co.co. And it allows you to upload your resume in a job description, and it will tell you how good of a match your resume is based on keywords, skills, and other things. So listeners, definitely check that out. Say that website one more time. Jobscan.co. Jobscan.co. The gems are being dropped, y'all. I hope people are taking notes. Take notes. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's an incredible tool. That's That's really dope. Yeah. You might have to pay to unlock, you know, different versions, but hey, free.com, let's get it. (laughs) I love it. So now that we've done like the pre-steps, finding our our why, who we are, 
We fixed our resume. Now it's time to apply for jobs. I see a job posting. I'm really interested in it, but I don't have 100% of the qualifications they're asking for. Can I still apply? Yes. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that one's um, yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, <laughs> so I, I, I um, sometimes compare applying for jobs to you know dating, shooting your shot, right? And mm-hmm. there's some girls back in the day, I hope my wife doesn't listen to this, there's some girls <laughs> back in the day I had no business shooting my shot at. I was not qualified to submit my resume into their dating department. But I shot my shot and I've gotten lucky a couple of times. I'm going to keep it real. (laughs) Um, So, I I mean, I think the point is qualifications are only as important as the person who writes them. Mm. Right. Let me say that again. Qualifications are only as important as the person who writes them. Mm. And, you know, if I say, we'll go back to your personal assistant, right? If you draft a job description for your personal assistant and I draft one independently for mine and we compare them for the same exact role, they're probably going to be different attributes and qualifications, different years of experience, different things you're looking for, right? And that's due to a lot of things where we do different things. We manage our time differently. We might be at different spaces and places in life. We might have different preferences, but it also is a very independent thing. If we were at the same organization, coworkers working in the same department at the same level, and we were tasked with writing a job description, it would probably still be different, right? Mm -hmm. So the the point I'm trying to make here is that the the qualifications get you in the room, right? They are, should we bring this person into our organization to talk to them? And your goal should be to get in the room. I don't care if the CEO of Amazon puts out a job posting for the CEO of Amazon to replace him, and I'm not qualified to be the CEO of Amazon, um, but I make myself look qualified, not through lying, right? But to, to showing that I have a good understanding of their culture and my my impact and how I can add value, and I apply so that so that I can get in the door, right? Because best believe when I get in the door. You might not put me at the CEO level immediately, but I'm going to add value. I'm going to show up. I'm going to increase productivity. So when you have enough confidence in yourself that you can add value regardless of the qualifications, shoot your shot, see what happens, especially if it's an organization that you think you want to be a part of and can be fulfilled. Uh, And the the last thing I'll say, I mean, I, I don't know the demographics of your audience, but many of the clients I serve are people of color. And they're oftentimes um, some of the hardest working people in their organizations and the most overlooked, right? And undersupported. So there are colleagues of yours, to many of you listening to my voice, or future colleagues of yours, if you haven't started working yet, who will work less hard than you, um, be less talented than you, and still hop up on that table and pound their chest and say, I'm the best thing since sliced bread. bread." So let's not let those people get all the jobs, right? Let's make sure we're comfortable stepping on our desk and pounding our chest respectfully and and saying, hey, I kind of do this too, right? Like I'm out here. Like I don't care what your job description says. I'm going to come in here and add value. So you better not overlook me. So I'd love to see more of that from, um, you know, underrepresented communities and in particular in STEM. Yes, definitely. Listeners, y'all hear Tony? You don't need 100% of the qualifications. Don't deny yourself of an opportunity before the company denies you. That's the word. (laughs) 
So this might be controversial to some folks or it may be new information. How often should we be applying to jobs? Even if we're satisfied in our current role, should we still be applying? And I know that (laughs) when I was telling you about my job history and how the last time I applied to a job was college, he was like, no, 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 no. You should not be doing that. Yeah, I um my blood kind of my blood pressure raised a little bit when you think that. <laughs> so so look, I mean there's not a universal answer, right? Uh I I think the general answer is you should always have a sense of what your value is, right? Mm-hmm. And when I say value, it's an absolute measure of value. Your value should not be dependent on your organization mm-hmm. or your industry or your role or your employer. I mean y- your value is your value and it becomes more and more difficult to determine what your true value is when you're only applying that value to one thing, right? And what people oftentimes do is they treat their employer as the one thing where they're adding value. So they never try um, competing professionally in sports or just competing competitively or cooking or being a better partner or, um, you know, entrepreneurship, right? They put their hearts and souls into one employer and that employer is cutting their paycheck and evaluating them every year. It's the only person, the only thing giving them feedback and they assess all of their worth around that employer. Uh, what, What the right thing to do is, is to always have a sense in general you know, agnostic of employment situation of what your value is. And and part of the way you can get there is by putting yourself on the market and seeing what sticks. Right. And you can also market yourself internally. Right. You don't need to leave to get a new job or even to apply for a new job. You can always look for uh, new positions that are more senior, have more ownership and accountability and different or the same parts of the organization. So it's not like a uh, external versus internal thing. You can do both. Uh, If I had to answer, I, I, I personally like putting myself on the market every six months. And that isn't even if I even if I don't want to leave my employer. Right. I might just start responding back to LinkedIn messages or, you know, I have some friends that work for search committees. I'll ask them, hey, you know, what what types of profiles are coming across your radar? Because sometimes you don't even know what's going on in the world, the shifts that are happening, where more and more employers might be looking for skill sets that you have. So every six months for me has been a good um, you know, cadence for me to get that refreshed energy around what I'm doing and how much I'm being compensated and whether or not I'm you know, impacting in the way I want to. Mm-hmm. And honestly, over the past several years, most of the time I've decided that I am doing those things and I am feeling supported and I am progressing well. This is the best thing for me. But, you know, at a couple of different times, that hasn't been the case. And if I wasn't on the market, I wouldn't have realized that. So for me, every six months, but in general, you just got to be able to wake up every day and say, I'm worth this number. Because mm-hmm. when you realize that you're not getting compensated that number, and that number should change, right? Uh, one of two things should happen. You should leave that place and get compensated the number that you think that you deserve, uh, or you should stay at that place and get the number that you think that you deserve. Both require, mm-hmm. uh, you know, asking or marketing yourself. So yeah, six months has worked for me. Good, good to know. Know yourself, know your worth, listeners. Don't let these companies play you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So let's say I'm a professional and I applied to a few positions. This actually happened to me. And I received a call back from a recruiter and they asked me what salary I'm looking for. 
how do I address this question? When a recruiter asked me this, I was really surprised. I, I didn't know what answer to give them. Should I be like 30 billion in my account like Davido? <laughs> what should I be shooting for? How do I address this? <laughs> so, I mean, that's also a personal uh, question. Your number doesn't have to be this. Your number shouldn't be the same as mine because it's dependent on your value and, you know, your liabilities and um, your, you know, life habits and patterns and all that. Um, I'll give you some general guidance and and then you know i'll kind of talk you through um i'll just underscore the importance of knowing that number and sharing it so the general guidance is one it shouldn't be a range and i think you and i talked about this yep that's number one mistake i did (laughs) it's it's cool you recover well you recover well it could be a number right if someone's coming to mow your backyard and they say um you know i'll uh i'll do it for between 50 and 100 you're going to pull 50 bucks out your back pocket and you might tip them 10 because you feel bad, but you're not going to give them a hundred. So if you give your employer a range, you're not going to get the high end of the range. And also from an impression standpoint, if you don't believe you're worth 200 K and you're asking for 175 to 200, why would they pay you 200 K? Right? Like you've got to tell me what you're worth period. If you give me the low end of the range, that means you could be worth the low end of the range. And I'm a business owner. I'm not gambling if you don't believe it's real. So give them the number. That's guidance number one. Guidance number two is shoot for the ceiling, right? I'm not saying the universal ceiling has four million. That's not realistic, (laughs) but you should have a sense of what people, of how people are compensated at that level. And before you apply an interview, find someone with that role, ideally in that organization, and ask them very targeted questions. Of course, you've got to build rapport with them first. So get time on their calendar, express your gratitude, um, praise them, ask them how you can support them, and then ask them direct questions about their employment. <laughs> like at some point in time, we we, we somehow, we, we as employees make talking about our compensation to each other like such a taboo thing to do yes. when it only benefits our employers, right? Mm-hmm. In transparency and compensation, saves organizations billions of dollars every single year because people are underpaid all the time. They don't know it because no one's talking about it. And if employees just realized that and shared more about their compensation, all of us would level up. It's not like they're going to come to me and pay me less because someone knows how much I make, right? So um, I, just, I would love for us to be a little bit more comfortable talking openly and honestly about money in general. And I'm, you know how passionate I am about investing. The same is true there. Yes. Yes. But I mean, I think rule, general rule number two is figure out what others are being compensated and ask for the ceiling, right? Make sure you're asking for the highest level because they have their internal band. Let's say you're applying to be a systems engineer one at an organization, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to be level six in the organization. And they have some HR policy that says, or some HR table that says everybody at level six has to be within this band, uh, 60K to 120K. So they've already determined that you're level six. You're applying for um, a systems engineer one role. Uh, um, They've already determined that you're a level six. The band is 60 to 120. You go in and you say, all right, my range is, you know, 70 to 90. They're already going to put you at 70 because 90 doesn't exist. Ranges don't exist. And they're already going to start looking at you as if you're the low end of that range. So you come in at 70K because that's good for you, right? But you come in at 70K, um, they're already thinking you're low end of that range. So they're going to promote you slower because you're not yet getting paid 120. 
They're going to pass over you for promotions. They're not going to give you as big of annual raises because it takes time for people to get from one end of the range to the other. But if you were to come in and simply say, I'm worth 120K because you know people in that organization and position are at the high end of the range or making that, I'm worth 120K. They might negotiate you down to 100, but you're 20K away from the ceiling. And they already are like, all right, this this person really knew their stuff. Like they came in here, we're actually under underpaying them, right? So we've got to support them on getting their promotion. We've got to support them on, on getting that new position. So the impression of you, it's actually interesting. People try to shy away from asking for a lot, but the more you ask for, the higher they think of you to a certain level, right? They might think you're just out of touch if you ask for too much. But um, your employers should be wanting to compensate you highly because that that aligns directly with value. So just to recap quickly, general rule number one, ranges don't exist. General rule number um, two is get smart on what the um, what other people are compensated in either the same or similar roles. And then number three, don't back down. This is not an emotional conversation. If somebody comes over to cut my my lawn right? And they say a rate and it's too high for me. I'm not crying. I'm going to pick up the phone and call another contractor in the same way they'll pick up the phone and call another employee. So I guess my point is don't put all of your eggs in one basket and don't feel like getting one particular job is like your universe because it's not emotional. If it doesn't work because they can't pay you what you deserve, you should go on and find an organization that will. So it's not emotional. Don't back down. Don't sugarcoat things. Tell them what you deserve, full stop, period. And if they can't pay you that, it's okay. On to the on next to the- one. And if you don't know how to get that next one, Tones Pass got you. <laughs> go. Information will be in the link in the description. <laughs> <laughs> so we we talk to the recruiter. We give them our salary. We've set up an interview date. What kind of preparation do you recommend for an interview? Ooh, that's a loaded question. I mean, it it depends. And I feel like that's the answer to a lot of the questions that you're throwing at me. But I mean, there isn't a cookie cutter approach to anything in life. Um, We talked, Shade, the other day about the 80-20 rule and how um, you can get to 80% of the solution with about 20% of the stuff, right? If you're working on the the high priority drivers that represent, you know, most of the impact. So I can give you the 80-20 for interviews, which I'll share in a bit, but to get 100% 100% of the way there. You've really got to study your employer, know how they're going to be interviewing, understand who's going to be in the room, how much time you have, what you need to speak to, what the co- the corporate culture is, do's and don'ts, etiquette, et cetera. Like all this stuff is very organization and individual specific. So that's the homework that you'll need to do to get the 20% of the way there. But on the 80%, I think in general, you're going to have to introduce yourself, right? So you've got to have a story, a two-minute pitch that says who you are, um, what you do, what you do distinctively, and you know something personal, making a connection. So we've worked on this in the past, and those four, I call them chapters of your value proposition, should be part of almost any or every interview that you do, because they've got to know those things before they can determine if they're excited to get to know more of you, right? Second thing is telling stories about your experiences in an impact-oriented way. Now, you might have a technical interview or kind of a a more general conversational interview, but chances are you're going to have the opportunity to demonstrate impact. So knowing how to link yourself 
to the center of a problem that you solved, like you literally being at the center of that problem and the interviewer understanding the specific things that you did to drive value, that's a storytelling technique. It's not about your work because the work is already done. It's not about math, right? Or, or, or solving. It's really just about can this person communicate their excellence? And that's so incredibly important because if you can't communicate your excellence during the interview, the people that you're dependent on for work and who you are dependent on, um, you know, will, will, will not be able to discern that as well. So they've got to have the confidence during the interview that you are able to articulate how and where you add value. So being able to do that through storytelling is incredibly important. And the third thing I'd say, which kind of goes to the 20% tail I was talking about is just knowing something about the company that might influence how you present yourself, but it also should influence the actual answers that you give to interview questions. Know how they talk, know things that are important to them, reference you know their annual report or you know a recent thing that happened in the news. Chances are there's something going on with that organization that the organization is talking about. So if you find out what that thing is, right, or maybe speak about their strategy, if you know they just had a big strategy setting meeting, Right, show that you're actually invested in them by doing a little bit of research, and um, mm-hmm. they'll start to see you as an as a, as a teammate, right, as a coworker, as a colleague, because you're now on the inside. They're not just talking generalities. They're like, oh, okay, this person understands our business and our challenges and, and cared enough to do research. I'm not talking to a candidate. I'm talking to a future colleague. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, those are the three general things I do. Thank you for that. And listeners, one thing that I learned from Tony is once you you schedule your interview, you can ask the recruiter what type of interview it will be, either if it's behavioral or technical or experience-based, because that's key information to know how to prepare. Um, And then once you know the type of interview it would be, um, Tony mentioned stories, you can start framing your stories into the STAR method. Um, star, which is as situation, task, action, results, and it will help you frame your experience in a story that is concise, compelling, and clear. I got, I got that right, right? Oop! I'm talking on mute again. I'm, I'm sitting here laughing and like giving you praise for remembering my frameworks. I love it. You got star and the three C's. Nailed it. Yeah, uh, clear, compelling, and concise. Cool, cool, cool. See, yeah, I've been listening. I've been taking my notes. <laughs> taking your notes. I dig. I appreciate that because honestly, I mean, I, I um, I speak a lot to my uh, I call it my peak performance community, but I, I have a, a newsletter, and I write a, a letter once or twice a week, just sharing coaching thoughts, sharing inspiration, sharing observations. And last week, the last two weeks actually, I, I spoke about or wrote about being coachable, and the importance of having the mindset that I can and will become better. So you you see feedback as constructive. You have a growth mindset versus a limited mindset where you see all things as opportunity. When you're coachable, every single you know interaction in life is an opportunity to learn. And I work, believe it or not, I work with a lot of people, a lot of clients that pay me money, give me time to tell them what to do or help them get through certain situations with either frameworks like you just walked through or mindset shifts and they don't listen. 
and they don't do the work or they just dismiss part of it or pick and choose what they want to take. I mean, of course you can do all those things, but if you're coming to somebody that you think can actually coach you in areas where you have opportunities to build, you should probably pay attention and listen to that person. So I appreciate you for being coachable and for listening and for applying some of the things that we work through. And I'm not the reason you just got that awesome new job that I'm so excited about. <laughs> yeah, you are the reason. But I, I would like to believe that the mindset you had around, you know, becoming better and learning and being a sponge and applying things, you know, got you that opportunity as quickly as it manifested. And and I just want to encourage you and all your listeners to be coachable. And yeah, when you see a good framework that someone is preaching about, you know, take that seriously. Yes, yes, definitely. Totally agree. So let's say the interview goes well. After, um, well, I guess when the panel, whoever is on interviewing you, are there specific questions that we can ask for them to know that we have genuine interest in their organization and that they should hire us? Yeah, I mean, I think that the general guidance I'd give is ask something both about the company and about the individual. And when I say something, not like, you know, Google the company, the first hit click that comes up on Google is like the last crisis they dealt with. And you just like ask the same question that the reporter asked at the top of the first paragraph, <laughs> like do some diligence again, both about the person and the company and to do diligence on the person, you've got to know who's going to be in the room. Now they won't tell you that's different, but ask before the interview, who am I interviewing with? Look them up on LinkedIn. I actually love when people I'm interviewing find me on LinkedIn and I see the alert and I know that they're curious at least at a minimum about me and hungry to learn and like connect at a maximum, which is just so incredibly impressive for me. So learn about both the organization and the individual. Ask a thoughtful question that requires a thoughtful answer, right? Mm -hmm. So a thoughtful question isn't, do you really think that you're going to outcompete your main competitor this year? No. The thoughtful question is probably, hey, I was looking into your strategy from the annual report and I just love how you're trying to pivot into the emerging markets this year. Could you talk a little bit about the organizational readiness and how you're actually going to rally such a large organization to enter a completely new geography so that you can outcompete your competitors? Completely different question, right? Mm-hmm. It's around the same thing. Will you win? But, you know, it shows a level of thought. It shows me that you read the annual report, that you know our strategy, that you know it's going to be hard and icky and they're challenging. It's, it, they're struggling with it. So get those types of questions and you can do the same thing personally, right? Hey, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile. I noticed you made a really big transition after your MBA. You know, what was it that got you out of the technical space and into more strategy roles? And it forces them to think and tell a story and connect. So at the end of the day, let's just demystify interviews, right? They're not interviews. <laughs> They're not, <laughs> right? They're conversations because at some point in time, if you succeed in an interview, you will become a coworker. And at that point in time, it's not an interview, right? It's a conversation. So if you can yeah. connect and add value during the interview, you're probably going to do the same when you start working there full time. So just treat it that way. I love that. And that's where like the mental shift mindset comes in, you know? Don't think of an interview as oh, this is either life or death. Think of it as a just a pure conversation, yeah. discussing your your goals, your future, because um, these people can be your future colleagues. Yep. 
and and they will be not just can you got to manifest. yes yes (laughs) they will be (laughs) so after the interview i you know i send a thank you letter um thank you email thanking them of their you know taking time out of their schedule to meet with me and then a few days later i receive an offer it's money but i feel i deserve more because i'm great and i'm popping how do i negotiate my offer letter do employers expect candidates to negotiate yeah i'll answer your your second question first and i'll give you some thoughts on negotiating um and honestly i meant what i said earlier (laughs) i feel like we need to just package this podcast up and make and put it on the market because this we are building a playbook for landing your dream job Mm. listen in people um, the second question is interesting because employers hire a lot and they interview a lot and they have all of the patterns that they've developed from years and years or generations and generations of doing that. So I'm sure if you ask an HR recruiter, do you expect a candidate to counter offer? Their answer is, well, it depends on who that candidate is. Mm-hmm. Black people don't really counter offer. Mm-hmm. Women don't really counteroffer. Black women don't really negotiate, right? Underrepresented minorities who are the first in their generation to matriculate from college or, you know, get a six-figure salary have never seen that much money, so probably won't negotiate, mm. right? But, but uh, you know, Preston, who is, and I'm not saying this to be disparaging, but Preston, who's a trust fund baby and, you know, went to Princeton on a full-ride scholarship because his dad is on the board of advisors, uh, you know, can basically name his price because he's, he has the confidence, right? And, and the understanding that that's how his world should be. So, mm-hmm. you know, do employers expect it some of the time, but a lot of them know that people that look like me and you don't know that they can and should negotiate and they don't offer it. And it doesn't make sense to offer it. It's a weird conflict. If I'm an HR recruiter at a company, even if I see my brother or sister across the interview table or, or on the phone, I, I'm not incentivized to pay them more money. I'm not compensated to you know, spend more of my organization's operational expense on a candidate. So is it really the, should, it, should the burden of education really be on those HR personnel to let people know, hey, we're going to offer you 100 but you can ask for 130 if you want. Like it doesn't work like that. So we just need to do a better job of socializing this in our community. Um so we need to make it an expectation that when you're offered a job, you negotiate. Full stop yes. period. And how you go about it is you've got to have that number and that number should be on your mind before you even apply. Because if you see yourself as a $250,000 candidate from the beginning of your process to the end of the process, you will carry yourself as a $250,000 candidate from the beginning to the end. And that will come with the impressions that you set, the way that you talk about yourself and your accomplishments, how you demand certain things in employment. So uh, have that number early. And I'm saying number to simplify it, but you really need to have a package early. You should have a sense of what your salary or wage will be. You should have a sense of what your bonus should be. You should have a sense of PTO, health insurance, benefits, um, life insurance, a 401k match, um, you know, uh, a professional development budget, um, mm-hmm. you know, equity in the organization, a bunch of things. Anything that's important to you, make that list, have it ready. 
Keep that on your mind, heart, and spirit as you go through the interview process. And if you get an offer that doesn't check any of those boxes, even if it's just one, right? The response should be, hey, I'm really excited about this opportunity. Thank you for extending your offer. Having had an opportunity to look through the package, the, the employment package, there are a few areas or one area where I believe there's room for you to uh, you know, increase the offer. So it's commensurate with other offers I've gotten or you know, what my market value is or what I would have expected to see. And then you state that change. Worst case scenario, they say, hey, we can't do anything. The offer is the offer, accept it or don't. Best case scenario, they're like, okay, this person's right and we want them. Let's give them what they need. Oftentimes it's somewhere in the middle where they'll counter back and say, hey, we can't do that, but we could do this. And then your call if you want to go for another round or, or just accept. But it's incredibly important to negotiate. And, and it's even if if you you got the offer back and it's everything you wanted above, like 10% above that across all those different categories, more PTO, more base, more bonus, more equity, more comp, you still have to negotiate yes. because they are going to offer you the low end of their range. They're always going to put you, if you're a level six, they're going to offer you the the lowest level of the, of the range for whatever level of candidate they think that you are, because it doesn't make sense to offer you anymore. There's always some change in the bag that they leave, you know, for a rainy day. So if you accept the lower end, that's just accepting the floor. And I want you to accept the ceiling. So you get a promotion earlier, you get more recognition, you get the support uh, and the, you know, the, the positive view from the organization. So you, you just always, there's always room to ask for something. Definitely. Everything's up for game, even parking spots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out to you. <laughs> Wait, was that wow. you or Mackenzie? That was Mackenzie. Yep. Mackenzie. Mackenzie. Yeah. Right. That's right. <laughs> Well, this was an amazing conversation. Like there's so much levels to this that we couldn't highlight every single aspect, but listeners, I'm sure if you hit up Tony for his tone pass services, he can definitely hook you up. We got you. And um, as I mentioned in the beginning, like Tony is one of my coaches and with his help and some of my close friends, I was able to secure the bag. Yeah. So all the info that he shared is absolutely valid. And it definitely helped me when I was going through my interview process and negotiating. So I know by the time this episode drops out, everybody would know that I got a new job. So yeah, <laughs> shout out to Tom Pass. Yeah, um, you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and thank you again for just sharing your, your insights and dropping gems. Um, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. How can our listeners connect with you? Great question. Um, so I'm easy to reach across a bunch of different platforms. I am a super open, transparent, happy to chat type person. So um, if you got any questions, Feel free to find find me on Instagram. So my handle is at Dr. Tone. That's D-R underscore T-O-N-E. My website is www.tonespass.com. Put some respect on the S. People always forget the first S. www.tonespass.com. And my email address is info at tonespass.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook and YouTube and all that. But please, please, please reach out if any of this was confusing or you need more support or clarity 
or just want to, you know, let me smell my roses and let me know if I help <laughs> you get through a challenging professional situation. I, I love hearing those success stories. So yeah, feel free to reach out. And Shade, thanks again for having me as a guest. This has been awesome. Thank you. I'll insert all your information in the description, but thank you so much for your support with the podcast, keeping me accountable because I know I've been slacking a little bit, but you know, we, we taking day by day. We're going to be better. <laughs> I just need the people to hear this voice. That's 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 what I need. <laughs> <laughs> and for my listeners, thank you for tuning in. As a reminder, please make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Google, Pandora to hear all the episodes when they are first released. And if you're on Instagram, make sure to follow us at the Win in STEM Podcast. I hope you all enjoy this week's episode. Let us know if we need a part two or you want us to highlight a specific topic. I know we couldn't really deep dive um, in the different aspects of securing the bag. So let us know your thoughts. And until next time, y'all be great and go out and win in STEM. Thanks, y'all.